playing her own game of wolf carrying around her own little health pack exactly (laughs) her own little health pack on board all the time hello i'm mark i'm justin we're the j-pops and we are attempting parenting in japan welcome to episode 11 of the j-pops uh moe is in her 28th week now and she's doing pretty well so far how's how's ayumi doing uh ayumi's at 35 weeks right now and um it's all pretty smooth sailing something that we've talked about actually is that um she is healthier than she's been in a long time like just in terms Mm. of uh prior to pregnancy you know like everybody's different uh you'll have your different aches and pains but uh, my wife would just get headaches every now and then or feel a bit nauseous or just have to you know take a little lie down uh just in the general you know course of life but um since she's been pregnant it's like uh i think she's maybe had one headache in the last you know seven or eight months or something and it used to be much more frequent than that and um yeah she Hmm. feels really good so like something about the whole pregnancy just really suits her and uh it's like it's a boon for her health wise i don't know why i don't know if this has ever been documented before if she's just having like a really good run of luck or something but yeah it's worked out for the better maybe like the nutrient balance is finally perfect because she's kind of keeping an eye on everything yeah maybe yeah and uh her body is like fully accepting the pregnancy and just loving every minute of it the only Mm. thing i've probably talked about this before but she has some abdominal muscle pain at the top of the abs and Hmm. we just kind of chalk that up to you know the like stretching of the the body and things are a little displaced because of the baby so that's probably going to wear and tear on the on the muscles and strain them a bit and that's been consistent for months now that she's just had like kind of a muscle strain at the top Mm. of the abdomen but no real alarm and it's not like a big internal problem or anything so that's good that's good yeah Yeah. i'm always had similar muscle pain but it's always been on the bottom Mm mm-hmm and uh, I think it's just that same, like, kind of stretching and just taking up space and trying to make room. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be the way of it. Um, but we didn't do anything um, appointment-wise in the last mm. week, so we don't have any more news. Everything just seems to be chugging okay. along. Uh, you know, I take that back. <clears throat> I take that back entirely. So we do have an update. Uh, my wife went to um, an appointment uh, but it's one of those where nothing really changed. So hmm. it's like the no news is good news again. Um, and uh, I guess in this case, no news is a little bit of bad news or concerning news because the baby has always been in the breach position and the baby continues to be in the breach position. Uh, right. So this time they put a timer on it and they said, okay. if the baby has not rotated by Thursday, then we're calling it. Then it's going to be a C-section. So oh. we've got, uh, as this podcast comes out, it will be the Thursday coming. So we still won't know yet, but it'll be, you know, a few days after this is released that Thursday, right. um, which is what February something. No, no, yeah. no, January something. No, that's still January. Yeah. Like 27th, uh, I think, 28th. January 27th. That's the day that we'll know. That's when they okay. set it in stone. And if the baby hasn't flipped at that point, they're saying like, sorry about you, but 
we're going to do the C-section and um, we're going to proceed down that path. So we've still got, as of gotcha. this recording, like, you know, four or five days for the baby to make up his mind to flip or not to flip. So then, I mean, if you guys go that route and it's definitely C-section, the baby's going to be way earlier, like by like two weeks, right? Yeah. The um, due date was February 25th. C-section, tentative C-section schedule date was February 8th. Mm. So... Uh, that's quite a lot earlier. What quite is that? Like two weeks and three days earlier. Um, the interesting thing to me, though, is that we've got the Thursday appointment, right, which is January 27th. They said mm-hmm. that's the day that we're going to make the decision. And they're, if, say, the baby is still breached, then they're going to say, okay, C-section time. Now, for the C-section, which is scheduled for February 8th, they said we'll need to um, put you in the hospital on Friday, February 4th. So wow. you go in, I guess, four days prior to the actual C-section. And I don't know if this is a coronavirus measure, you know, to get you in there and, you know, decontaminate it or something, or if they put you in a holding area before they put you in the real area. I don't know what happens. Or if this is just normal prep, like if it takes three plus days to prep for a C-section. I do not have that information. But huh. um, the interesting thing to me is they make the determination on January 27th, but then they don't actually put you in the hospital for the C-section for a week later. So in that week, the baby could still flip, but then you wouldn't know. So then the procedure is you're admitted to the hospital on February 4th. They'll do another ultrasound. Then if they see that the baby's flipped, they'll be like, okay, get out of here. And Hmm. they'll, they'll let her go. So it's one of those weird things where they say, we've got a date in mind where we will decide and then we can still reverse that decision, no problem. So it's really right. not too much of a line in the sand, but it is kind of the next um, like milestone or the next checkpoint, I guess. Uh, I wonder so what the odds are of it flipping in that week, like if they if they have like data on that, and like yeah. usually like it's not going to flip, so we'll just put you in because you know eighty percent of the time we just mm-hmm. do it. Yeah, it, there may be numbers backing it all up, or it may just be scheduling, like um, they're trying mm. to reserve all the spots and make a plan ahead of time or something. I couldn't say. But it's interesting that there are like several different dates and, you know, several steps, and then the baby could still move at any given time, and it could throw a monkey wrench into even the new course of action. Yeah, interesting. What week right now? You're 34? Uh, I think we said 35, 35, I've got it noted. Yeah. 35. Hmm. So, um, yeah, 35 we're getting, it's in the home stretch cause you know, yeah. 40 is the target. Eh? So yeah. it's either going to be in about five weeks or in about two, two and a half weeks. I was curious actually is, uh, is Ayumi like, I know not physically going through anything, but how about emotionally experiencing any of the ups and downs that go along with pregnancy? Uh, it's a good question. I don't think so. She has, you would, you would know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I, uh, there hasn't been any like tectonic movements emotionally around the house. Um, but, uh, yeah, she hasn't, uh, claimed anything like that and she hasn't exhibited anything like that. So Hmm. unless it's a deep, dark secret, then I don't know about it. But I think, uh, I mean, as I was saying before, physically she feels even a bit better in many ways. Mm, so I think right. that probably has a positive effect on, you know, her mental well being as well. So I think she's doing pretty good actually. Nice. Nice. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm always, I'm always going through a bit of ups and downs these days, but mm-hmm. not too bad. I was just curious if there was any, if this was like, you know, kind of normal or on par or whatever, but because yeah. every, every pregnancy is a little bit different, so. Yeah, and um, I don't know how much you want to go into it, but it's just, you mean like kind of run of the mill, like, and I don't want to say run of the mill, but you mean more or less like hormonal changes and then emotional changes and so on. Yeah, yeah, pretty, I wouldn't go as far to call it manic, but she'll definitely be like doing okay at one point and then I'll look over and suddenly she seems to be crying (laughs) about something. (laughs) And then, you know, a little bit later, totally, totally fine. So it's kind of, yeah, it's a, it's a bit up and down. Yeah, the swings, hey. Um, I would have sworn that, um, my wife would have been in for more, uh, whether it's physical or emotional, but more change because Mm. you hear about it, obviously. Um, But then also just in the past, you know, uh, just given this or that stimulus, she would then have a pretty bad effect, you know, like uh, she has to work outside in the sunlight, then she Mm. would just get destroyed with headache and feeling bad and everything. And um, I thought like, wow, if she's, you know, kind of that influenced by that sort of thing, then maybe a pregnancy would be a lot for her to handle. But she's been like, I mean, she's like, it's like when you used to play Doom in the the old days (laughs) and you you could be at 100% health and get a health pack and go up to like 110. She's at a 110 right now. Nice. She's playing her own game of Wolfenstein. Carrying around her own little health pack. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Her own little health pack on board all the time. (laughs) 007, she got a shield. She picked it up. <laughs> Goldeneye. She's fully shielded. She's doing well. Mario Kart, she got the star power. She, she's got a star. <laughs> right now, it's, I mean, all you hear around our house is... <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she's, she's invincible. She's indestructible. So that's good. Well, those are updates, eh? Yep. You want to hop into those segments? Segment time. Okay, so for our first segment, uh, we thought it would be good to get into some child privacy and parental social media sharing. Um, And just in general, as we start getting into more like baby pictures and whatnot, like what's appropriate to share on Facebook or Instagram or even Twitter? Um, like, is it is it good to share pictures of your kid doing everyday activities or should you keep it to a minimum? Um, there's not actually a lot of data that I found on this, but I did find a, a few articles that kind of talk about it both ways. Um, have you and Ayumi discussed any social media use in general? I know you guys aren't very big into it anyway. So, Yeah, we haven't like set any rules in stone about it. But um, personally, I will be on Facebook maybe once every two months. And that's just to like lurk mm. on somebody, you know, <laughs> like <I've, laughs> I need to know something about someone. So I'll just dive into their Facebook page and see what info I can gather for my nefarious okay. purposes. Um, so you're now changed to acquaintance on everybody that you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been demoted across the board. Um, so, uh, well, like taking a couple steps back, one is that it just strikes me as odd that uh, now parents are in the position to make the choice 
for the child uh, as to whether that child is going to be documented online in not necessarily a fully public fashion because you could set things to like limited visibility, but Mm. uh, in somewhat of an accessible fashion. And if you're not up to date with all of your, you know, like set things to private and, you know, checking all those boxes, then it is just broadly public and the child will have no say in that whatsoever. And then, you know, it's to me, it's one of those things like that somebody should really have like an informed consent opinion on Mm. when they're, an adult as to whether or not they want to like have that sort of information out in the world, uh, even if it's just photographs. And so that always gives me a bit of, of pause about just putting uh, photos of a kid up because they, they have no informed consent and you're just throwing them into the deep end of social media from birth. So then uh, one other story, um, this is somewhat related, but uh, I have a good friend who, um, uh, he's like very sharp guy, uh, very intelligent fellow. I've just used a synonym for sharp guy there. Um, and uh, no, he's, no new information he's added. He's smart. <laughs> and uh, at the risk of him ever hearing this and embarrassing him, he's a really, really smart guy. He went to MIT, uh, got his <laughs> undergrad degree from MIT. Okay, now then you're he, compensating. <laughs> yeah, now I'm going overboard. But he he then went on to get a PhD from none other than Harvard. He's a good friend of mine. Went to the same high wow, school. Okay, now he's compensating. Yeah, and, uh, his PhD was in astrophysics. He went on to work with radio telescopes and to you know map out solar systems that hadn't been mapped out before. And this was you know part of his research. He's a very gotcha. very very intelligent guy. And uh, he, in the last few years, got more into um, working for uh, an internet company. I guess I should hold back all of this identifying info, but he works for Mm. a a major internet company, a household name that everybody knows. And he's working in their like data analysis and data security side. Hmm. So he's put his massive brain to work on this. And as soon as he got the job at that massive household name company, that same week he deleted his Facebook page. That's telling. And, yeah. And I needed to contact him for something around the same time. And we had shared messages on Facebook for years. So I went to Facebook and I typed in his name and I was like searching for him. And I was like, oh, he's vanished. What happened? So I have his regular email address, like the old school email. Hmm. And I sent him a message and he was like, yeah, as soon as I saw what was happening with data, actually behind the scenes at a big company like this, I deleted all trace of social media. I'm out of it because mm-hmm. I, I saw what was happening and what it was being used for. And that right. really uh, like set off an alarm bell in my mind that somebody who's involved in it at that level uh, starts to understand the danger of it once he's exposed to it. So I couldn't bring myself to fully get out of Facebook. But what I did was um, I went through all the privacy settings, set everything to private, deleted everything that wasn't essential information. Like mm-hmm. I'm not going to input who my family is and that sort of thing. I changed my birthday to like January 1st, 1900. And I <laughs> like, I obfuscated all of my personal data in Facebook as much as I possibly could, uh, or just deleted it entirely. And I only go on it every few months. So I tried to limit my exposure as much as possible. And then that makes me, that much more reticent to then throw a baby into that from day one. Yeah. And that's, that's my thinking. So it's not like a hard ban. I'm not going to slap the phone out of people's hand when they're taking a photo of the baby and like placing it on Facebook. But as far as me, like doing it daily, I just don't feel comfortable with it. And that's kind of my position. 
But would you ask somebody not to post a picture of your kid that they took on their own feed then? I think it's inevitable. And um, I think if it's just a drop here and there, rather than turning on the faucet mm. full blast, I, I'm at peace with that more or less. Um, so I'm not going to be like hardcore banning everyone and making a lot of rules, but I'm just going to try and, you know, cut it off at the source within the house, at least as best I can. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty fair. But, um, you're, you're the one who's looked into it. These are just my like wild speculations and fears, but you've gone a bit deeper into it. So what did you, yeah, not too much deeper. Um, but it does seem like there's a lot of, uh, actual laws out there that, kind of limit the power that parents have to posting kids images online. And mm-hmm. in some places I know France has really strong laws preventing it. Kids can even sue their parents for posting mm. pictures they don't want. And I think the United States does too, which I think is really good. I think the issue is that a lot of parents now who are posting these pictures grew up in a time when there was no social media. So we mm-hmm. didn't have this as a kid. And now we don't understand what we could be doing to them emotionally and, you know, psychologically. Yeah. And uh, like privacy wise as well. Um, it's I mean, it's a somewhat of a minor thing, but, you know, it's the classic story of everyone has the embarrassing baby photos. But right. now the embarrassing baby photos are out there for all to see and there's no taking them back. And it's well, just then, sort of. And then to. To take that a step further, though, I, we were just talking to a couple friends today about this, and one of them was a former cop in uh, in another country, not Japan. But he was saying, like, you know, when he was a kid, he's got, like, pictures of him and his sister in the bath, and, you know, they're all in the mm-hmm. family photo album and whatnot. But then, you know, kids nowadays, those pictures go on Facebook. So suddenly you've got somebody posting a, kid, a picture of their kid in the bath, mm-hmm. and... At what level does this become like child pornography? Like you just think it's an innocent pic of your kid in the bath. Oh, that's cute. But then if your privacy settings aren't good, suddenly you've mm-hmm. got this image out there. And who knows? I mean, if if the kid at some point doesn't like it, they can sue you for that. And then that even then could become a felony. Yeah, I've um, and it sounds like a scary hypothetical, but uh, this has been 10 or 15 years ago. I read a deep dive article about a guy that that actually happened to. Um, and it was uh, on a disposable camera. He was taking pictures of a camping trip that they were on. And like one of the pictures was his kid, like in a stream and didn't have a bathing suit and was naked. And then whoever was developing the photo um, said like, Oh, he's got child porn. And then it was wow. massive investigation upon an investigation and um, charges filed and appearances in front of the courts and everything. And it was all what he considered to be innocent. And in the end, he was fully exonerated, but it was months and months of his life down the drain and all the suspicion floating around him and stuff. So um, hopefully, you know, people aren't uh, maybe with the proliferation of it, people aren't as knee jerk as that um, photo developer was in that case. But um, yeah, it's uh, there's always risk. And it's like, I don't know if I want to put that risk out there. Yeah, I think I don't fault that photo developer at all. I think, man, like that person did a good job. Like, I'd rather have somebody be too cautious in that area than not cautious enough. Yeah. And that's good in its way. But at the same time, it's uh, in that case, it was an innocent father. And then uh, he's, you know, lost friendships. And there's this cloud of suspicion around him now as a 
suspected child pornographer that um, even right. the, the not guilty verdict can't fully erase. And it's like just a horrible, horrible situation to yeah. be in. Um, so, um, yeah, at that, I didn't think about it in those terms. Um, and actually, just to go on the counterpoint a little bit, um, there could be some sort of future where the kids who have their photos posted online are, you know, something's available to them that's not available to the other kids. And um, so, for example, uh, like hmm. when we were kids, we watched a lot of television and then we share this. Uh, kids share this. You know, they talk about the shows they watched. Now, 30 years later, we talk about those same shows that we remember from our childhood. It's like a common right. bonding sort of thing. But then if there's a kid with no TV, then that kid's weird. You know, like that right. kid's on the outs with all the other kids who are just watching the same cartoons and stuff. And so I'm wondering if there's any sort of parallel to that with not having any social media interaction whatsoever as a child. Uh, you know, your parents have done it on behalf of the child. If, if that's totally vacant from your hmm. like personal history, if then maybe in the future you'll be missing out on something like a new service is developed that comes through your old photos and compiles them for something useful or something like this. And it's something that almost everyone has. And then there are a few outcasts who, who don't have it. So I think that right. like that seems extreme, but I think it counterbalances the other extreme of you've put up a photo that's somehow illegal and it leads you to a lot of trouble. And so those are the two mm. things that I would try to, you know, with I guess the two extremes you balance between. In the end, I still come down on the side of I'm just uncomfortable about this. It seems like the motivations to use data are so powerful and right. so well financially backed that that's going to be the point of exploitation that I would prefer, uh, prefer to avoid or to help my child avoid, you know? Right. I don't uh, think that there's any way to not have them at least engage with social media, especially as they grow up. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think my point more drives to the fact that they're, they're unknowing like toddlers mm -hmm. and we're putting this stuff out there about them and they have no say or control yet. Yeah. Yeah. It would that, really, so that's my, my main concern. Yeah. It would annoy me if somebody had a social media account that featured me all of the time and I had no yeah. say in it. And so yeah. I don't want to take that step like on behalf of the kid, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So anyway, it could put them at some weird disadvantage like the, yeah, like could. the Luddite kid who never had television growing up and was an outcast. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, I feel like hmm. the the conservative position, the one that plays it safe is just yeah, keep away from it. Yeah. But, just avoid it till they're older and then slowly kind of help them understand how it works. That's yeah. kind of my stance. Yeah. Well, it puts us in a bit of a weird spot because our base of family, you know, goes into different hemispheres of the world and it's not like your kids, mm -hmm. you know, seeing all the grandparents and aunts and uncles routinely all the time. So photo sharing is like a massive benefit to keep up that family connection. And so yeah. um, something we've mentioned a bit before, just between the two of us, I think is like the baby photo sharing apps. And mm. these are, I think meant to take the place of a Facebook. If you want to keep your kid off of that. Um, and uh, one that I was a member of my uh, for many years it was called Tiny Beans. Have you ever heard of hmm. Tiny Beans? No. 
uh, it's basically um, it's just very stripped down photo sharing. You just see a calendar with photos and you can click on the photo and you can leave a comment. Hmm. And uh, what separates it from a Facebook, obviously there's like no advertising mixed in. There's no, I mean, there are ads here and there is like a banner at the bottom, but you're not seeing like a news feed or anything. Um, and also the membership is such that like the parent sets up the accounts to share the baby photos and then specifically has to invite people via email address and only those people can see the photo. And it's very like tightly controlled as to who's in your, oh, okay. in your network. So it's a real invite only kind of a situation. And um, gotcha. you can see, you can track everything. Who's looking at these photos? How often are they looking? When did they last get on? And that sort of thing. So you've got like quite a lot of access to the information, even among the people right. you've invited to look at the photos. So uh, Tiny Beans was the way for many years. Uh, my cousin had a baby and um, I followed, you know, their Tiny Beans feed or whatever it's called for hmm. maybe three or four years. But in 2021, Tiny Beans switched over to a pay model. So oh. you could look at photos uh, for free. But if you're a parent taking the photos and uploading them, you had to pay like a monthly fee. And I think at that point, everyone jumped ship from tiny beans and then yeah, moved sure. on yeah, to another service <laughs> and the, the service paywall. Yeah. The paywall. <laughs> so the service that our whole family jumped over to is called family album. And huh. it's just another app. There's also like a desktop version, but it's similar. You have to, you know, get invited specifically by email. You have to get approved and then only you can see those photos. And I've got a cousin involved. My, um, my sister, uh, who had a baby recently, she got an account and I, I checked the photos there too. Um, and what, uh, is probably the best endorsement for it is that my grandmother who's in her mid eighties is a member on, wow. on family album. So she checks the photos that way. A lot of my aunts and uncles. And so hmm. it's not really like a young person's tech savvy game. It's like very simple. You just open the app and then you see the photos and that's it. Uh, you could of course yes. click on one and type a comment, but that's as far as it goes. Um, then there are little, uh, like little add-ons within it. Um, one is that you can click to buy photos and make like a little album out of it. And I guess hmm. that would take your digital photos and then turn them into a, a little booklet or just get individual prints or something like that. Gotcha. So uh, it's like, they've got a nice little business model going. I guess they upsell those things and then hmm. uh, that's how they make their money. So that's nice. It seems to be fine. And I'm planning to get a family album account up and running when the baby's born. So relatively soon. Gotcha. But, um, this sounds uh, pretty similar to like a Google Photos where you would just kind of invite people to the folders that you've made and kind of share them that way. Yeah, I guess so. Um, Google Photos is uh, yeah a little more like file organization. And this stuff is like all very clean, like Tiny Beans mm. was and Family Album is. It's just a very clean, like, here's your photo, no other gotcha. buttons to click or anything. And you just swipe through them. Mm. Uh, all very streamlined, organized on a calendar so you can, you know, go back through time and, you know, see That's the kids cool. grow up and everything. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think family albums the way, at least until they start charging and then everyone will migrate to the next free thing. <laughs> right. But this, this um, you were you were saying about like data mining and that kind of thing with the other social media apps. Does this have a prevention against that? Like, do they own your photos when you upload them? Like the way Absolutely. Facebook does? Absolutely no idea. 
Oh. Absolutely no idea. Just curious. <laughs> just curious. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, I would assume this is just a like broad assumption, but they're targeting people who are trying to flee Facebook. So I bet they have something a bit friendlier hmm. in their policies than kind of the the wild west of Facebook. <laughs> uh, that's just my assumption. Something definitely to look into. Okay. But, um, anyway, for now, I give my tentative endorsement to hmm. Family Album. Well, um, segment numero dos. This knee is bon. knee segment knee bon. <laughs> uh, this is about cord blood. Cord blood. Yeah, hmm. you really, you really kicked things off. Was it last week talking about the pouch? Right, right. A couple weeks ago the, now. A couple weeks ago, the placenta and the dried right. cord that everybody has knocking around the house. <laughs> um, so that got us interested in looking into these things, and um, we found out about something called cord blood. There's something that can be done, which is uh, after the baby's born, you take the umbilical cord. Uh, some medical professional puts a needle in the umbilical cord and draws out the blood that's there. And what's so special about cord blood is that it is very, very rich in stem cells. Okay. So it's a highly desirable and useful uh, blood to get uh, for that reason. So this is, I don't know if big news is the word, but this is at least recent news in Japan. Um, in 2021, the first company in Japan came out into the market. They're called, uh, stem cell Institute. Uh, and this type of company is like a for-profit company that will extract your cord blood and store it for you. Should your baby need it in the future for some type of medical procedure. Okay. And, um, it seems like, a like, oh, what is this new thing that, you know, children have been born for millions of years without and suddenly they're charging <laughs> for. Uh, but uh, and it, it's just new to Japan. It's existed in other places for a lot longer. But uh, Japan is just now on board with it. And um, the thing about cord blood is that these the stem cells are are useful in fighting certain diseases that the child might be born with. Um, for example, um Sickle cell anemia, I believe, is on the list. Leukemia is on the list. Hmm. If you have that child's own stem cells that are, you know, instantly going to be compatible, you can use them in treating these diseases. And so um, there are basically two ways to go about the cord blood donation thing. There's the for-profit company, like the one that I mentioned, the Stem Cell Institute. But -hmm. then there are also public cord blood banks that exist. And um, hmm. this is where you you don't pay any fees. You just donate the cord blood. It goes into, like any other blood bank, they just keep it all. And then whoever needs it would, you know, contact uh, whatever service organizes that sort of thing. And then they find a match, hopefully, and you would have access to that cord blood. Uh, I'm not sure about the fees on the back end, but at least the donation part is free. You know, you give up the cord blood. So... Hmm. Um, obviously if you pay for the service, you keep it for yourself. And if the child needs it at any point, then you have immediate access to it. If you donate it away, it's just in the system. Mm -hmm. And if you need it, you would have to apply to the system. You have no dibs on your own cord blood at that point. Hmm. So you would just have to go through it. Um, 
so this was an interesting thing to me, uh, mostly because for the uh, independent like company version, the pay version, here are the prices. <laughs> uh, so there, there are a lot of fees, like they have to extract it. And for this company, the Stem Cell Institute, you contact them before the child's born, obviously, and you set this up and they send a guy to go to the delivery room and he's like standing by. I don't know if he like posts up in the city in a hotel for a few days or what he's doing, but he's just waiting for the call. He's there. First off, first off, I'm going to stop you right now. There's no way this dude's going in that room if I can't go in that room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how he gets authorization, but um, my wife actually there. asked. Yeah. <laughs> My wife actually asked about this uh, with Kanazawa University Hospital, and they said, um, yeah, if you set it up, then we accommodate it. The guy can come in and he can extract the cord blood and, and take it away. bullshit. Yeah, so it's <laughs> apparently fine. They'll let this stranger in. Uh, but yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what the qualifications of that guy are. It's a private company, so huh. I, I don't know what the policies are there. But um, some guy goes and extracts it. He then secrets the cord blood away to the bank that they have set up. And uh, so then there are storage fees and hmm. you'll have to pay, you know, like these recurring storage fees because theoretically cord blood could be useful for a long time. You know, a kid could hmm. come down with any sort of ailments at any point. So right. you could, I think the maximum package that they offer is actually 20 years of cold storage of the cord blood. Um, and the prices aren't extreme, but they're like, just on the edge of extreme so uh if you want to do everything just to get the blood alone uh the extraction and then the storage for one year it's about two thousand dollars one year two thousand dollars the fee for one year of storage you got to pay that every year no 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 that's just well that's the one year fee yeah so then if you go up to 10 years obviously like the extraction fees and all that stuff are now taken care of because that's a one-time deal but it's just storage right. after that so you could hold on to it for 10 years for about twenty five hundred dollars say two thousand five hundred you could hmm. go to 20 years for uh two thousand nine hundred call it three thousand like these are all yen i'm kind of converting on the fly right. but say the prices are basically two thousand two thousand five hundred and then three thousand right um and you've got that Cord blood just set aside in case of any horrible genetic emergency. So all um, of your costs are basically in the extraction and the conversion for storage. The storage itself yeah. is, sounds pretty cheap. Yeah, the storage, yeah, apparently is How only... much do they take? You mean like the volume of the cord blood? Yeah, is it like, like I don't know, like 10 milliliters or something small like that? I, I have no idea. It can't be much. I mean, it's just whatever's in the umbilical cord and they, they take it out. They do a bit of other stuff. They'll have to take blood from the mother. You'll have to fill out a lot of forms with family history of, uh, you know, sort of diseases and things. Um, but uh, wow. so they'll they'll run a, a lot of things. I don't know if it's just that blood alone. But, yeah, I'm sure it's a minimal amount. Hmm. So um, that's, you know, one option is the, the private routes you're looking at. You know, you. I don't think you would want to stop at one year. It's only five hundred more for an additional nine. Yeah, <laughs> five hundred more for an additional nineteen. Max it out. Go twenty years. Pay three thousand dollars. Forget about it. Yeah. But then on the other side, it's free if you go with public cord blood donation. And um, the whole thing these, is free. The entire thing's free. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so there are some there are some hitches though because you have to go to a hospital that has the program up and running. 
Um, and uh, in Japan currently, nationwide, a country of 125 million people, they have 25 hospitals. Oh, that's a that, higher number than I thought you were going to yeah, say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have five. They have five blood banks. They have five cord blood banks, but they wow. have 25 hospitals that feed into those banks. And uh, I was looking at the numbers, and 23 of the 25 are in the greater Tokyo area. Of course they so are. So whether it's yeah Tokyo or Chiba or Saitama or Kanagawa in that area. And yeah. then there are a couple couple other ones here and there. So it's obviously off limits to us. There's nothing right. within a stone's throw of Ishikawa. The right. other two actually are a bit in northeastern Japan. I think it's in Miyagi. There are two hospitals up there. Hmm. So you got to be on the east coast somewhere in the northern half. And uh, Ishikawa... No chance. And they even say uh, for public cord blood donation, they say, do not travel for this. Like, don't <laughs> go across the country to have your baby somewhere just so you can donate the cord blood. It's much safer. It's much better if you just give birth where you are. If you can't donate, that's just everyone's bad luck. Sorry. Right. Uh, so that's the official policy for the public one. Hmm. Uh, just by way of comparison, um, the United States currently has... 173 hospitals across the country that Hmm. are set up to do cord blood donation. This is totally for free, not private companies, but just the hospitals themselves donating into the public system. So um, it's not that, I mean, it's different. It's not that different. Japan has the 25 us 173. So um, now it's like a big question because this could come in handy if the child's diagnosed with leukemia or a, a list of other certain types of diseases. And is it worth the two to three thousand dollar investment, which you would need to pay in a place like Ishikawa because you can't get to the public system? I mean, you can withdraw from the public system if you have that problem. Uh, But I guess the question is, you know, do you just want to let it go to waste more or less? What are the odds? I mean, if you do get that, trying to get the right match in the public system, is it less likely or more likely? Well, there's a lot of complication there because even now I'm relying on WebMD, which is um, Medical hmm. Advice for Americans, I think is what <laughs> WebMD stands for. That's what it stands um, for. Yeah, so WebMD has a big rundown on cord blood, and this is more U.S.-based, you know, stats and data. Mm. And um, they say that, uh, first of all, like all of the relevant medical associations like the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, the American Medical Association, the American Association of uh, Pediatrics, those groups don't specifically recommend the private uh, cord blood storage. Hmm. And the reasoning is that they say there are three points that they don't recommend it actually. It's not that they say don't do it, but they won't recommend it. Uh, they say, first of all, it's extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Second of all, there are other effective treatments that are available that are less expensive. Um, and third of all, uh, the chances of you using your own cord blood are extremely low. So mm. it's kind of like saying, like, I want my kid to get a college education. I better buy this lottery ticket to pay for it you know right it's like maybe (laughs) but the odds are so low and you would be better your money would be better spent rather than buying that lottery ticket every week like save up that money and you know use it that way i think my metaphor is falling apart but yeah uh, it works okay that's good so 
they say, uh, yeah, all of these top organizations, these top medical organizations in the U.S. don't recommend the private method. Um, They do recommend the public method because it's like you can get this pool uh, that's available to everyone. And then that sort of system tends to work better as a big public pool rather than keeping it for yourself. Um, They also say uh, there's a bit of like additional info um, there are problems with keeping your own cord blood because maybe whatever the issue that your baby has, whatever that problem is, um, is also present in the the cord blood itself. Mm. So certain types of diseases are that like, I guess, core or right, that deeply genetic them. or fundamental. Yeah, that, you know, the cord blood itself is going to be useless. So they said that even with people who... Uh, keep the cord blood privately, 70% of those people end up looking outside of their family anyway hmm. for like additional treatment. So already the odds are kind of low, even if you do pay all that money to keep it. This this whole situation seems like those people who look into uh, storing their bodies in like cryo storage after they're like 80, hoping mm-hmm. that they'll wake up and suddenly find a cure for whatever like old age or whatever but it's probably not going to happen yeah this this feels like that it's one of those (laughs) yeah um and you know those people maybe if you dip dip them in cord blood all their ailments (laughs) go away that's what they store them in (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) in the cord blood bath uh so there are a few other problems um but there are Instances in which it's recommended to store your own cord blood. Um, one of those instances is if you have an older child. So you've already had a child and that child has some type of uh, hmm. illness or disease that cord blood could help with. Then you are you happen to be having a second child. They say definitely get the cord blood from that second child because there's a high chance not high, but, you know, relatively high chance that uh, those stem cells will match with your other child and you could help with that disease. So if you already know that you need it, that's a good chance to make the move. Mm, um, that makes sense. Or, yeah, if your family has like a, a strong family history of a certain type of disease. Um, and some of these um, diseases, by the way, there's a list here, leukemia, immune deficiencies, lymphoma, uh, certain types of anemia, crabs disease, and it says other rare diseases. Hmm. So um, if you have a specific reason to, that's the only instance in which they they recommend that you do it. So this was just something that my wife and I heard about and looked into over the last week or so and kind of amassed all this info. And at the end of the day, we decided the private storage seems to not be a good use of your few thousand dollars there are other things you could do with that few thousand dollars to make life better for the kid probably um and again you would hate to be on the bad end of that gamble but um it's so unlikely that um you know you can't spend twenty five hundred dollars on every fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percentage thing that might go wrong yeah so um it's one of those things to probably mark off the list and if you live around tokyo if you live in Miyagi for some reason, <laughs> then go ahead and donate the cord blood to the the public system. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that seems to be the best way. Hmm. So not recommended, but an option. Yeah. And um, so one additional thing 
that was kind of interesting to me is that, and I never thought about this before, but I just learned this week that if you're a minority in whatever country you happen to be in, you're at a disadvantage on things of this nature Hmm. because um, just the likelihood of whatever you need in terms of the stem cell matching up, you know, like all the criteria that they have for matching a stem cell to someone or even for a blood transfusion or for a, you know, organ donation or any of that stuff. It's less likely if you're a foreigner in that population or a minority in that population. And so that raises a bit of alarm. Like when you have a kid who's going to be mixed race or, you know, totally foreign kid in Japan, Hmm. like the pool that's available will essentially be Japanese and you'll have just a very few to choose from, uh, you know, as candidate matches if that happened to come up. So that does somewhat motivate you more as a foreigner to buy into something like this. Right. Um, but it's still not enough. The numbers don't line up enough to make it like a logical investment of your, you know, limited resources. Hmm. But uh, I had never really thought about that before. It crossed my mind. And then I looked up on various, you know, uh, health websites and um, some states uh, within their health system. They'll put up on the website that like, oh, we need more organ donors among the minority population because they don't match as well if it's, you know, Hmm. between different races and so on. So um, anyway, yeah, that's uh, something that just crossed my mind for the first time in this last week. Yeah, I never thought about that before. Yeah, I would especially encourage anyone who's around Tokyo uh, to donate cord blood into the public system if your kid uh, has any other heritage or ethnicity outside of Japanese because it's just so much more needed. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of calls for this sort of thing, be it blood, cord blood, or organ donation, uh, for any minority, it's like that much more important to actually do it. Right. That's a good call. Yeah. So that's the cord blood wrap up, everyone. Hmm. You're welcome. Thanks. Um, I guess we can get on to the uh, Japanese of the day. you got for us today sensei just yes japanese of the day i'm gonna go with a single kanji character that keeps popping up and that is san s-a-n satin san hmm and uh this kanji character i can't describe it on a podcast it's a lot of little squiggly lines <laughs> and um it uh it means birth. okay just tell us the stroke order and yeah, <laughs> how many strokes are we looking at here? One, two, three, four, five, six. It's a lot of strokes, a lot of tiny lines, some at angles, some horizontal, a few vertical. Okay, we and got it. Um, yeah, it's uh, San shows up in so many vocab items that you'll need for uh, this process of having a kid because it kind of means birth. So uh, one word might be Sanzen, and that means before birth. And the obverse of that is sango, which means after birth, like not literal after birth, but the time after birth. Time, right. So we've got the sanzen, the sango, and you'll recognize that from like gozen and gogo, like, mm-hmm. you know, before, after. Uh, there's jo sanshi, which we talked about before, which is midwife, and it's got hmm. the san in there. There's um, uh, san fujinka, san fujinka, which is the OBGYN department at a hospital. Hmm. Uh, and the word shusan, shusan itself is birthing, just the birthing process. Hmm. 
So uh, look up the kanji san, look up any of those words, and that's going to be all over the place as you're going through the process of having a baby. Gotcha. Very useful one. And uh, I think that brings us up to my question for you. So my question for you is, we've touched on this in the past, but uh, how do you feel about the mother giving birth and then living with her parents at first, which is a common Japanese custom? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not very cool with it. I don't really like it. Yeah. So where do your wife's parents live? Uh, they're kind of scattered. Her dad, uh, it lives about 45 minutes away from us, but her mom mm-hmm. is on the other side of the country right now, staying with her grandma because mm-hmm. she's a little bit, uh, too old and, and can't get around her place mm-hmm. very well and needs assistance. So yeah, I they're, see. they're kind of all over the place at the moment. So living with them isn't really an option. Yeah. Was it ever discussed? No, I don't even think like if, if they were all close by still, I don't even think it would be an option. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. We would just assume that we'd come back here afterwards and just carry on. Yeah. The, even the 45 minute drive, um, is a bit of a hassle. I've heard about people in the past, uh, you know, like they've, relocated to a different city different prefecture entirely Mm. the wife has the baby and then she goes back for a month or two and you know then the husband would travel a couple hours see the baby on the weekend and then travel back to work through the week and that sort of thing yeah i think that's a i don't know if it's common but it's a common enough experience in japan yeah um luckily my wife's parents are in town locally so it's you know maybe 20 minutes 25 minutes to their house Mm. and um we are, we're going to go for it. You guys are going to, uh, are you both staying? Yeah, we're kind of, um, I guess because we're all in town, you know, we'll both stay there, but at any given moment we can just pop back over to the house and mm. get what we need or you right. know, come and go. I guess the baby's not going to come and go too much. The baby will probably be posted up mm. at the parent's house, but one or the both of us will stay there with the baby all the time and the other can gallivant around town get drunk have parties you know of course all the yeah. standard stuff yeah, yeah you got an empty house why not yeah, yeah. <laughs> party time over here one of us my wife or me can mm. you know what make a pizza get drunk <laughs> have a party in the empty house her could be her could be me um either really yeah yeah whoever's willing whoever's willing while the other dutifully breastfeeds the child <laughs> Uh, so that's the, that's the plan right now. And we actually, just yesterday we went and we dropped off a huge load of baby things at Mm. the in-laws house and we set it up in a room downstairs. But this uh, is, this is also because their house is a lot nicer and newer than your house, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So So like that was just logistically, it makes more sense and safely have a drafty house. Yeah, you won't have a frozen baby. Um, we like it was amazing yesterday. We went to the room that we we're going to set up in, and this is an insulated house mm. built in the last within twenty years, fifteen or twenty years. Uh, really nice insulated place, and uh, we went to that room. It was freezing temperature outside, hmm. so we're talking zero degrees, and uh, they didn't have the 
heated floors on. They're like, ah, oh, the heated floors are off over here, so we don't use this room wow. much. And the air conditioner, obviously not on, hadn't been turned on. Hmm. But the house is just universally warm everywhere because it's a warm house. It's like well insulated and any little bit of heat stays in there. Right. So, um, yeah, we we're just totally comfortable without nice. any any heating at all. And in our house, you would literally die <laughs> if you didn't have like a hot carpet going at uncomfortably warm temperatures. And then the aircon full blast just drying out the air, making things horrible. That's right. the only way you can stay alive here. Right. So uh, we thought, yeah, best to just relocate, especially for the first couple of weeks. Mm. And because it's so local and it's like on a different floor and there's a kitchen right there just for that room. And it's right across from the bathroom and everything. It's like wow. all set up to be its own little zone. That's perfect. So, so yeah, you're we're just going to. So you guys are just moving in then. We're subtly moving in. <laughs> we're piece by piece just taking over that house. Nice. Uh, but, you know, the kid will be born at some point in February, then maybe come to this house in March. And mm. hopefully things will be a few degrees warmer. Then you're looking at April. Then you're home free. It's going to be, you know until july when you again can't live in the house because it's like the surface of mercury right but um we'll cross that bridge when we come to it hmm. but uh yeah so we're gonna we're gonna go for it okay. um that's cool I, guess, well, I think in your case it makes sense then yeah yeah for sure you come from a nice warm house so it's not well, as it's pressing. half it's half warm because we have the wood stove in the main living area Mm-hmm. And so it warms this room and then the master bedroom directly above this room. But then the other side of the house is kind of divided by the stairs. And that side mm-hmm. is basically the same temperature as outside. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Undesirable. Um, That's pretty standard. But, uh, yeah. Standard for Japan. It's good that you've got half of a house of, of warmth. That's yeah. Nice. We just stay over here. <laughs> Well, what would your, um, if you were to move in with the in-laws, what would your major concerns be off the top of your head? Um, well, maybe over grandparenting, I guess might mm. be my concern. I mean, I don't have that concern with Moe's parents at all. And so <clears throat> if we did move in with them, I know they wouldn't do anything that was like overstepping or anything. But mm-hmm. in general, those are my concerns with the idea of moving back in with your, your wife's parents, like them just kind of taking over the parenting duties or telling you basically how to raise your kid, which would drive mm-hmm. me crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's a good point. I uh, I haven't thought about it from the baby's point of view. I've been selfishly <laughs> focusing on on me. Uh, no, yeah, I I feel the same as you that I'm not too concerned about the overparenting, and mm. I'm even I'm even hyped to have like a lot of input and a lot of uh, mm. a lot of cooks over the pot, basically, because I feel like it just sort of. Um, socializes the baby so well i know like the first couple of weeks it's not a big deal but through that first year of the kid's life especially i hope to get the kid exposed to like you know different people and different types of yeah like lifestyle and you know communicating with different people and stuff Hmm. so uh i'm kind of fine with that especially with the in-laws in question not too worried about it um the one thing for me personally is that you're going into full japanese zone 
And oh, then right. that gets kind of exhausting just to try and uh, always be like ha- always have the presence of mind to get through Japanese communication constantly mm. when you're very, very poor at it. So I guess it's a learning experience, but I'm too old. I'm not going to learn. So <laughs> I don't know if that's going to pan out. Uh, but yeah, so I know that there's going to be a lot of like, I didn't understand. I know we're trying to organize something relevant to the baby. I have no idea what's going on. And that's right. going to be my existence for a while. Um, then the other thing that I'm somewhat concerned about is uh, like food. I'm going to go into f- like, usually now I can get about half like sort of, oh yeah, this is what I would eat in the US and that's mm. natural to me. And uh, I'm going to go from that to like into full Japanese food mode for mm, true maybe a couple of weeks and then i'm gonna be like Ugh. i mean it's all healthy and better and uh that's why my body rejects it right so I'll i always, I always think of your diet as being somewhat healthy because you eat i mean basically vegetarian yeah for sure yeah but um, you're like still to... like a lot of pizza and stuff right oh yeah loads and loads of pizza oh, okay i think you know mostly something will come down as a dish and it's like, here's your dish. It's a big radish. And you're like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's like, I can't eat the radish. I'm happy to eat the radish. But then on like day three of radish, I'm like, is this a gulag? What's happening? <laughs> but uh, I'm just, you know, sort of like the body chemistry and not that they're giving me radish all the time, but it's just that sort of thing. It's like, Oh, I wouldn't have really chosen this. I don't know. And then after several days of, I wouldn't have chosen this, you sort of don't feel like yourself anymore. Do you, are you going to have any input in the, in the cooking and stuff? Like, do you get to like go up to the kitchen and do anything or is it all just going to be Ayumi's mom cooking and making every meal for you guys? That's a very good question. I'm always reticent. I don't want to just jump in and take over in their kitchen, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah. even to do with stuff with like dishes and, and all that, I'm like, yeah, you got your system. I'll just stay over here. Right. <laughs> and, but are, are, uh, you, are you guys open to the, even the, like asking like, hey, can you add this on when you make something? Like, Oh, yeah. And my in-laws are really good about uh, like, you know, cater trying to cater to me on stuff. And then occasionally there'll be like a, you know, mm-hmm. not to harken back to pizza, but occasionally there will be like a small pizza involved, uh, like what you would get at the supermarket in Japan, like the little oh, know, right. like five inch radius kind, or five inch diameter kind of thing. Just keep those uh, coming. Yeah, keep them coming. <laughs> I'll lay on my back at the end of a conveyor belt and just let them fall into my mouth. Uh, yeah, so that, that can happen. And I'm sure if I get in there and try to make like a classic vegetable rice dish that i make or some spaghetti Mm. or something i think it could all happen and they would be fine with it so i'll just maybe have to push that somehow Mm. anyway so those are my main concerns uh haven't given a thought to what the baby's going to experience there but uh i'm you know looking out for old number one yeah that's my yeah i wonder i mean obviously the lack of chilling cold coming from all directions is going to be great for the baby yeah, that's going to be wonderful. Yeah. And no, I'm I'm really uh, pleased about it from the baby's perspective. Mm. So I'm I'm all okay there. I'm just, uh, you know, worried about me. <laughs> that's it. Yep, I understand. Oh, I was going to ask too, when you, uh, when you guys do the C-section, if that goes through earlier, <clears throat> is your paternity leave going to start then? 
Yeah, uh, I went ahead and just uh, paternity leave is supposed to start like I'm rounding off the dates, but it basically starts from the beginning of March. Um, oh, okay. So I went ahead and piled up all my vacation days through February. Oh, okay. Uh, kind of with the understanding that um, I might have to leave at a moment's notice and I just wanted to officially be off. Right. But I will still through February, I need to pop in and take care of this and that, even though I'm technically on vacation. Hmm. So I've got a kind of half a vacation coming to me. And um, luckily that covers the uh, the paternity leave period, should it need to be moved like two and a half weeks earlier. Gotcha. Uh, here's the interesting thing. I would recommend this system to anyone, hmm. no matter what your situation is, because uh, say the paternity leave is meant to start on March 1st, mm-hmm. but uh, the baby comes like February 8th. So, you know, three weeks ahead of the date that I've slated for them. Um, I can just keep that date and I'll have the time off anyway because it's vacation time. Mm-hmm. So then paternity leave will then start the beginning of March and then continue for its year. And I won't oh. have to shove it up earlier, which would then, you know, make it end a bit earlier as well. Oh, it doesn't just, they don't make it start as soon as the baby's born. It's not a year yeah, the- from that date. The thing about paternity leave is it's you have to start it within eight weeks of the birth of the child. Hmm. So if you wanted to extend it to the max, you know, gotcha. you could start it like eight weeks. Kids two months old and you could begin at that moment or you could begin on the, the day after the baby's born. It's hmm. up to you. So um, rather than shove it back, I considered it and I thought, well, rather than shove it back, I'll just take the days off as they hmm. are. And then let it start when I had planned for it to start anyway. Gotcha. So it ex- it extends as long as I thought it would to begin with. That's cool. Yeah. So that's that was an. It turned out it wasn't like my grand design in the beginning, but it's just how it shook out once hmm. I learned all the rules, and I was like, oh yeah, that kind of suits it. So, um, that's all for my question for you is, and that means that's all for this episode. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I think we're running a little long, so we should just put a cap on it. Call it a yeah. call it a night. Thank you to everyone for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter at JPops Podcast or by email at info at thejpops.com. And we will talk to you next time. Later. See ya. Be good to your grandma. <laughs> <laughs>